The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Chan, Washington columnist for Reuters Breaking Views. This week, we're discussing the rare agreement that the group of seven countries hashed out in June to overhaul the global tax system. They agreed to a corporate minimum tax of 15% aimed at reducing profit shifting by the world's largest companies. Now the plan moves to the G20 in July for discussion, where the debate could get more contentious given disagreements by India, China, and others. Joining the exchange to figure out what this all means is EY's Global Vice Chair, Kate Barton, who oversees tax issues for the corporate consultant. She goes over the global fits and starts to get companies to pay more in taxes that started with the Organization for Economic Corporation and Development's Base Erosion Project. Now, as the action moves to a global corporate minimum tax, Barton discusses what countries and companies stand to win and lose from such an effort. She also talks about the chances for any deal to become reality, given the carve-outs being sought for industries such as financial services. For years, the United States has complained about a race to the bottom when it comes to global corporate taxes. Now that the prospect of paying more is upon companies, Barton also gives advice on how corporate chiefs can cope. So Kate, uh, thank you so much for joining us to talk about some momentous changes that are happening in the tax world, which we don't see very often. Um, we saw the countries of the G7 agree at a meeting in June to at least lay out the parameters of um, what could become a global corporate minimum tax rate. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, for our listeners who may not be as familiar about this, what are the parameters of this? What what does it uh, mean for, for corporations and uh, for the countries that are seeking their tax revenues? Well, it's been an amazing uh, month of June, and certainly I think everybody in the tax community and really the business community at large has been excited about the G7 communique that was issued. So first from the ministers of finance and then uh, from the uh, people on the ground in their their tax um, uh, groups. They, they really um, came out with a communique that addressed three things. One was the global minimum tax, suggesting 15% be the rate. Uh, the second was the elimination of digital services taxes, which has been on the mind of many, um, sort of one would replace the other, if you will, the global minimum tax would replace the digital services tax. And then the third is some new rules that are embedded in the BEPS OECD project um, regarding redistribution of profits for distribution activities, even when you don't have a physical presence in a particular country. So uh, putting more profit into a distribution um, country, if you will. And so those were the three big things that came out in the communique and really, I think, will be the subject of this summer's work in the fall with the OECD BEPS project. And uh, why do you think this came together now, given how long this issue has been debated? And if you could explain um, the BEPS, uh, the base erosion um, project that the OECD has been involved in for quite some time now and um, and what, what you think the impetus for this agreement um, has been? 
Sure. I think the impetus has been that many countries' tax codes have been um, really centered around bricks and mortar businesses. And so just a more traditional business model grounded in physical presence and um, establishing a manufacturing site in the same country that you're distributing and sort of a classic business model. And obviously business and has only um, moved away from that. And so many goods and services are being, uh, you know, it's distributed globally, but not necessarily with physical presence in a particular country. So the codes in every country need to, are a bit antiquated and really needed to catch up to the digital world that we're living in. And so there was a first attempt with the base erosion project, um, what we call BEPS 1.0, which um, <laughs> was um, a number of years ago, and I think did some really great things. But I think most um, most pundits would say that they just didn't and weren't able to accomplish as much on, uh, you know, really the digital space and who should get the taxing rights. And, and so this is BEPS 2.0, which is really very focused on um, sort of ending the race to the bottom on corporate tax rates and getting it, you know, some would say race to the middle. And then uh, also just really helping jurisdictions decide who has the taxing authority on uh, distribution and marketing intangibles. So um, really amazing stuff. So who wins and who loses if this does come to fruition? Um, and if we could start first on um, the the individual countries side of this, because there have been um, tax jurisdictions um, that some of them have no corporate tax at all, um, Bermuda and, and Cayman Islands and some others. Others have low rates, such as Ireland. Uh, and there is a sense that, you know, countries like the United States and 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 others in Europe want this, um, you know, for their own advantages and uh, some of the smaller countries and perhaps uh, less developed countries will not benefit as much from this. So how do you think uh, that shakes out in terms of who this really helps in terms of government revenue? Right. So there has been a number of countries around the world, Gina, that have had a longstanding tax policy where they'll have a lower corporate rate and attract business to their jurisdiction so that they can keep their people employed. And so many have attributed that to their great economic um, success. So Ireland has been very, um, you know, well publicized. That's been their tax policy. And they give a lot of credit to the Celtic Tiger um, for that mm-hmm. uh, that policy uh, that they've experienced. And so, a lot of those jurisdictions, I think, will have to reevaluate their tax policies and maybe raise their rate up to fifteen percent. I mean, they don't have to. The way these rules work, it's not so much what they do; it's it's allowing the other jurisdictions that um, that might have um, uh, be headquartered elsewhere that have a subsidiary in Ireland and what they can do if if Ireland doesn't rate their, raise their rate. And so, you know, this will have some sweeping changes. It's been interesting to see each country's reaction. Some countries have been offended um, because their rate's lower, but they don't like to be identified as, you know, as a low tax jurisdiction. And so, you know, there's a, a lot of, um, of posturing going on. And But I think general support for 
um, you know, a, a framework so that everybody can follow it and sort of know the rules of the game. So so I think governments are, are getting their heads around it. I think that one of the big issues that needs to get resolved is the timing. Uh, there are several countries that have already implemented digital services taxes. So when those rules get off the books, has to be very carefully timed for when the new minimum taxes come in. Otherwise, there's going to be additional revenue shortage and many countries can't take that right now because they're already revenue starved from the pandemic. They've raised less taxes to fuel their government spend. So, um, you know, it's a very, you know, again, very lofty, but the timing of all of these provisions and the changes needs to be carefully coordinated. So that's a really interesting point. And and do you think the digital tax issue will will really go away if there is an agreement on the global minimum because that was such a contentious issue for some time uh and obviously the united states has been pretty vocal about um not wanting these taxes to be targeting american companies only uh but it seems like you know such a kind of low hanging fruit from for france or for uh, some of these other countries, um, do you think there can be a, a meeting of the minds on that front? Well, I think that's certainly one of the key objectives of the framework. Many of the digital services taxes have been imposed on gross revenue, which from a policy perspective makes uh, quite a few companies very concerned because it can lead to double, triple, quadruple tax. And so that's a concern. So the taxes, the global minimum tax are based on profits. And so you know, that typically is is a better, most policy pundits would say that's a better way to, to institute tax laws. But clearly part of the communique is that these taxes need to go away. I think there is some concern on whether countries will admit it's a digital services tax or will they call it something else and try to escape the elimination, but also recognize that some of these laws that have been enacted have not really been enforced yet because uh, the countries ended up getting tariff from, you know, this has yes. created a whole trade war and tariffs. And so some of them are in abeyance until this gets sorted. So, again, I think this is super complicated. And, you know, I think that this is one where it's like artwork. You know, everybody's going to take a look at this <laughs> um, framework that comes out in October and see different things, if you will. And so um, whether everybody implements it the same we learned in the first BEPS project, they did not. I mean, there was a lot mm -hmm. of variation as to how each country interpreted what they were supposed to do. So I think that is a concern. So I want to uh, get to that uh, aspect a bit more uh, in detail in a bit, but I wanted to first ask you, um, also, we, we talked a bit about more of you know how this could affect countries and how different countries are seeing it. What about on the corporate side? of things, um, especially for, you know, we already discussed tech companies, um, pharma, uh, the pharmaceutical industry has also sometimes been caught up in accusations of, you know, shifting profits or having um, a lot of IP abroad that helps them keep cash overseas. Um, so I you know, think, what are the sectors yeah. that, that you think are going to be the most affected? Right. So I, I think that there are Almost every sector will have some impact from these rules. I don't think there's any sector that's immune. Certainly some sectors right now are trying to get carve outs. And so we're seeing that with the financial services sector, the shipping sector. 
Uh, there's quite a few that feel like their business model is not going to fit one of these three different uh, rule changes. So, um, so that's going on. But probably the sectors that um, are affected the most are, are clearly uh, technology, life sciences, medical device, um, manufacturers. So uh, that's kind of um, probably the, the sectors that, um, that will have the biggest impact. And on BEPS 1.0, there was real concern that companies were not uh, paying their fair share of tax and they had what we call nowhere income. So some of their income was not subject to tax anywhere in the world. I think those days are long gone. And most companies now are concerned the pendulum has swung the opposite way, where the biggest fear is, will they end up with double taxation? And I think most companies are really um, fine with paying a single tax or one country's tax on their income. But what they really can't tolerate for competitiveness is if the same dollar of profit is taxed twice. I mean, that would be very difficult. So that's where um, the concern is. So the careful coordination of how these all these um, countries' tax rules coordinate is really front and center for most heads of tax at, at multinational corporations. Well, for for them and then for the countries themselves, how do they also then tackle this issue of uh, the various carve-outs that have been suggested? As you said, there's talk about that for financial services, uh, mining, um, and, you know, sort of, uh, again, going back to, you know, their kind of national champions, if you will, or their hometown industries. And does that end up being a, a different kind of race to the bottom and, and reduce the effectiveness of what um, a global minimum could be? So there is a lot here in terms of white carve-outs. I think at the root cause, Gina, is really understanding the business model. And the business models really matter. And companies want to pay their fair share of tax, but, you know, not more than that. And so the tax laws have to be flexible enough so that depending on the business model, where is your intellectual property, where's your manufacturing, where's your distribution, what makes sense, um, you know, there's a real concern that that controversy is going to go up from all of this, because if every country thinks they're entitled to that uh, to tax that profit dollar, um, will you you know have two jurisdictions going three jurisdictions? So, you know, the one thing that companies really want is financial statement certainty. And so I think there'll also be a cry out for. Um, sort of getting these things settled in advance. So we have these things called advanced pricing agreements or, um, you know, settlements across multi-jurisdictions and so multilateral settlements on controversy. And if you can do that even before a, country, a controversy ensues, so that as you readjust your structures, um, once this framework comes in, if a company relooks at their supply chain, I think they're going to want to make sure they have as much certainty uh, from each of the jurisdictions that they're doing business in so that uh, they don't have to use all of their time dealing with fights between countries. And how long do you think this could take to shake out? Uh, we have the upcoming G20 meeting. There are countries uh, in that grouping that aren't 
on board really with this concept or have some big problems with it. And then, you know, eventually if it goes to the OECD and there's a lot more countries in that group and it's sort of like a consensus driven um, situation, it does is this something that, you know, even though it seems like it has a lot of momentum now could actually take quite some time? Yes, and so I, I think the framework is going to move at speed. So next event is, as you said, the G20, which happens in July. Then the BEPS OECD framework is due in October. And once the framework is issued in, in its final, which again is supposed to be in October, then the idea is that 139 countries around the world that are members of the OECD would look to um, take that framework and enact laws to make it happen. So like the US, for example, would take the framework and enact uh, what they needed to get done. And so in, in Joe Biden's green book um, that just came out has a lot of the features that are you know, contemplated in the OECD framework. But you know, this is kind of you know, like how our Congress would have to implement the framework. So you can imagine how legislation gets done in the United States, that has to happen in every country. So we're looking at probably um, from beginning to end a two to three year, maybe longer period of time, unless the communique or the framework in October sort of dictates when this all has to get done, which is why everybody's a little worried because, you know, how do you make sure that you don't get whipsawed, have the new laws come in, but not the elimination of the digital services taxes to later? Uh, that, that staging is critically important. So how do companies plan uh, as they go forward, especially with, you know, certain investment decisions, they are taking a very long-term view of, of where they're spending their money. Um, given this uncertainty, does that mean certain things just kind of get put on hold until they figure this out? Or are they trying to, um, you know, do the best they can? And, and you know, as you say, given, uh, for example, how long Congress can take on things that um, that's kind of the, the reality and, and they just have to make the best of it. Yeah, I think most companies, if it's a sound business decision, companies are going to continue to make those. I think if it's a multi-year decision, you're trying to look at whether or not an acquisition or a divestiture makes sense and, you know, it's multi-year um, on the acquisition side, for example, if it's a multi-year payback, most companies have modeled out the ramifications of this. You know, they have con they they all have models and have looked at what this would cost them. So uh, most, it's an increase in taxes, and so when they do their after-tax modeling, their rates of return, they'll factor in a higher rate. I think most people you'll talk to think it will the rates will go up. But um, then it's anyone's guess as to how much, but they'll put something higher than what exists today um, so that it still makes sense from an after, you know, so that no one in the business is surprised if the taxes go up. Okay. And do you think that uh, the 15% that is now on the table, is that a floor or do you think that could be the final number um, just given where, you know, some countries like Ireland are at and then, you know, where some other higher tax jurisdictions are at? Well, remember, I mean, the global minimum taxes is, is meant to be the floor that the country would adopt. And so, 
you know, the the U.S. already has a global minimum tax. Ours on the current books is 13 percent. Um, when you cut through some of the deductions, I just like to simplify uh, for the listening audience. But, you know, what's contemplated in the U.S. Green Book is our 13 percent rate, our global minimum tax would go up to 21 percent. The regular corporate rate for you know activity in the country would be at uh, what's contemplated right now in, in Joe Biden's proposals is 28. So there's two separate rates. Every country will have different uh, rates, but that's how this would work. So, you know, it can be higher than the 15 is what I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying, it just depends on what the country wants to do. But um, some countries will have to catch up to get to 15 and others are already above the 15. So uh, you've been really generous with your time, so I wanted to uh, wrap up, but I wanted to end it with just your thoughts on um, what what do you think are the most important points to keep in mind as all this sort of shuffling and, and um, back and forth goes on in terms of, you know, carve outs and, and various countries that have issues with um, issues with uh, the proposals on the table. Um, is it to be prepared for the long haul? Because um, I think there was a sense when this first came out with the G7 that this could uh, be something that could um, get pushed through fairly quickly. But as you say, you know, with each government having to deal with it in their own way, that that could take some time. Um, you know, it's sort of just to keep a level head about all this. What what do you think uh, listeners should keep in mind? Well, I think it is pretty simple. You have to stay calm and carry on. I would yeah. model. <laughs> Get advice for anything, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely, Gina. So I think, you know, model it out. Make sure that um, your all your stakeholders are well-educated as to what, what can happen. And then once the framework comes out, I do think, you know, educating the local um, legislators on how this is going to make sense and how, uh, you know, what what is going to be compliant compliant with the framework will be critical. So a lot of work to to be done uh, to see this through to its fruition. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Kate, again for uh, joining us, and I'm sure um, we'll be able to hopefully talk about this again um, when we see what the OECD comes up with. Yes, I'm delighted to do that. Be well, Gina. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be following the ups and downs of a global corporate tax and see if it reaches the finish line. That's it for now. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Exchange Podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Freddie Joyner, and all of you for listening. If you haven't already, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for the Exchange the Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Gina Chan. Thanks for tuning in.